Well, good morning. I want to say hello and welcome to you. My name is Paul Mumaw, and I'm the lead pastor here at Genesis. And I just have to tell you that as I was uh, driving to here this morning, uh, coming down uh, uh, 10th Street right here in Noblesville, uh, just spending some time getting ready for the day and and thinking about what was ahead, I I was just reminded of this. God just really kind of blew this up in my mind this morning. I'm I'm blessed to be able to be a part of this church and to serve with you. And uh, I just want you to know how much I love you and uh, love being a, a part of this and the exciting things that God is doing through Genesis and uh, so thanks for all of your hard work and your faithfulness. Uh, it's sure a lot of fun to be here with you on Sunday mornings and to be able to worship with you. We're continuing today uh, in our Romans 8 series. Uh, we uh, not only are studying Romans chapter 8 here on Sunday mornings, but one of the things that we've also suggested is that many of our connection groups are walking through uh, this really important, uh, pivotal chapter with us. And Romans chapter 8 is a pivotal, a pivotal chapter. Uh, this is the gospel message. This is the good news uh, stretched out over the course of one, again, really important chapter. And as we're going to discover today, not only does it shed light and bring to life this gospel message, uh, but it also sheds some light on the importance of our understanding of who God is. And what that understanding of God in us and what we believe about Him, how that shapes so many things about who we are and how we think and and even how we act. As a way of learning together, we're highlighting five words uh, over the course of this series, one word for each of the weeks. And as we start today, uh, let's review together. If you're taking notes, you can follow along with us. Week one, uh, our key word for week one is the word freed. Uh, that we discovered in week, uh, week one in Romans chapter eight that we are free, that if you put your trust in Jesus Christ, you are no longer condemned. As Romans eight one says that therefore there is no condemnation uh, for those who are in Christ Jesus. That if you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you've invited him to be the Lord of your life, that you have been freed from the penalty of sin through Jesus, that Jesus is our way to forgiveness. Uh, He is the only way to God, and He is our only way to forgiveness. Uh, Week two last week was the word empowered. We sang that great song with us, that that God is with us. We talked about the Holy Spirit, that if you put your trust in Jesus Christ, that the Holy Spirit is in you, God Himself lives inside of you, that His Spirit is with you, and that Spirit is ready to empower you uh, through the ups and downs of life, that He is ready to empower you to become more like Jesus Christ. The word that I gave you last week as we concluded was the word aware that I think as followers of Jesus Christ, we need, to be sim- we, we, we need to be more aware of what the scriptures say about the spirit, that we need to be aware of God's presence living in us because you can be a follower of Jesus Christ and forget that. You can forget that God lives in you, you know, that he wants to have that relationship with you, that you're never alone, you're never apart from him. And as we uh, introduce our, our third word today, let, let's go right to the text. And if you've got your own Bibles and you want to follow along with us, you can. Uh, in Romans chapter 8, uh, starting in verse 14, the Apostle Paul is writing this letter uh, to new Christians, uh, people just like you and me living around Rome at this time, 2,000 years ago. And in Romans eight fourteen, uh, here's how it begins. He says, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. So you have not received a spirit that makes you fear, fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's Spirit when He adopted you as His own children. Now we call Him Abba Father, for His Spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. And since we are His children, we are His heirs. 
In fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. Our key word for today is found right there in the text. It's the word adopted. You can write that down, that if you've put your trust in Jesus Christ, you have been, you've been adopted, that you belong to God, that he adopted you as his own child. And as the second half of verse 15 says, instead you receive God's spirit when, when he adopted you as his own children. I, I think it's important to point out that adoption means chosen. Uh, adoption means selected. It, it's a word that offers hope. Uh, it's a word that offers a future. You know, adoption is the word the Bible uses to describe the relationship that we have with God. It's a word that describes the relationship that he wants to have with you. And if we, as we've put here, that, that if you've put your trust in Jesus Christ, you have been adopted as his own, you can call him father. That you and I have this privilege as God's children, chosen by him, that we can call him father. And specifically, as the verse here says in verse 15, not only father, but it's important to note that the writer here added the word Abba. That we can call him Abba Father because you are a child of God. You can call him Abba Father. And, and we're going to look a little bit more about what that word means today. I mean, why, why make sure that this Aramaic word is included in this letter that Paul has written? That you can call God, that you can call him Abba, Abba Father. Today, today I want you to see, and I think it's so important that we see as best as we can, why God defines himself this way for us as our father. It's important that we understand the implications of such a title in the midst of this relationship that you and I can call him Abba, Father. Now, for some of you, uh, to think of calling God Father uh, is not that far of a stretch. All right, maybe you've been around church for a while. Uh, maybe it's not an unfamiliar term to you. Uh, it, it's a loving term for you. You've got good memories when you think of the word father. And, and so it's not a far stretch. But I realize that that might not be true for everyone. That for others, it might be a challenge to think about calling God father. You know, because you're not necessarily encouraged by such a title. I mean, when you think of the word father, you don't think of the guy that goes out in the backyard to throw the football around. Or when you think of the word father, it doesn't remind you of the dad who used to take, you know, you or, you know, his kids out for ice cream. I mean, instead of thinking about the word father in, in, in a good light, I mean, when you think of the word father, maybe you think absent. Or when you think about the word father, maybe you think of abusive. Now, whether you realize it or not, your impression of your own biological father can have an impact on how you even think about God as heavenly father. That if you didn't have a good experience with your father or you didn't have a strong relationship with your earthly father, when you think of God as father, I mean, you might think to yourself, you know what, that's the last thing that I need. I mean, that's the, that's, that's the last descriptive word that I need in thinking about God as my Father. And it's so important that, that your view and your understanding of God come not from your own perceptions, that it come not from your own experiences or your past relationships or TV shows or movies or, or pastors or, or churches that you've been a part of in the past. It's important that we view God, that when we view, when we view God, we see Him through the Scriptures that that is our only true and reliable source of understanding who God is, is through the scriptures. Why? Because it's so important that everything about your life, I mean, your attitudes, uh, your motives, your, your desires, your actions, and even your words, everything about your life is influenced by how you view God. Think on that. I mean, think on that as you leave today. I mean, I, I don't think I can blow that up enough to, to help you get your mind around how important that really is that your view of God has a lot to do with how you act and live and respond and serve. 
And so I think it's important for us to consider, do we have a right view of God? Now that's why it's so important that we seek the truth to better understand who God is and, and what He thinks about you and me as His children. It's important that we understand what it means that He would say that we are adopted, that we can call Him Father. And, and the Apostle Paul helps with this. I mean, it's a part of his letter here. He, he helps us with us in this as we continue here in Romans chapter 8. What does it mean that we can call God Father? And as a father, how does that help us understand what God is really like? If you're taking notes, you want to follow along. As a father, what's God like? Well, the first thing that I want to note is that he is loving, not controlling. The God our Father, that He is loving, not controlling. I mean, remember that Paul's writing these words uh, to new Christians living in and around the Roman Empire. And he knows already that some of his readers, that most of his leaders, readers, if not all of his readers, have a strong opinion of God. And some of those are right, and some of those are wrong. And some of those are healthy, and some aren't so healthy. And some of those are good and not so good. And for many here, they, they've come to see God as a slave master. You know, they, they've come to see God as, as this angry slave driver. And so God is angry or he's someone that they know that they could never please or no matter what they do, no effort will be enough to ever please God. And don't we see this today? I mean, it may be you or me or, or people around us that have this sort of impression of God. There are a lot of people that think of God this way. We all have our opinions of him and what he's like. I mean, for some, God is like that cop that's hiding around the corner. You know, I mean, you're, you're flying down the interstate and there's that tight curve and it's the perfect hiding spot, you know, and there he is. And, and for many of us, that's kind of the impression that we have of God. Uh, for some people, God maybe is a lot like Simon Cowell, you know, on, on now the X Factor, you know, that, that he's this talent judge, you know, and you don't know what he's going to say. And are you going to have his approval or not have his approval? Uh, for some people, and depending on your age, when you think of God, you think of George Burns, you know. Uh, and if you're a little bit younger, you think Morgan Freeman, you know, that's just the way that we view God. Or when you think of God as father, you know, maybe you think of that parent that used to get a little aggressive with you once in a while. I mean, our impressions of God are so easily formed by the external things around us. And so we think things like, well, he could never be pleased or he'll never be proud of me or, or because of the number of times I've messed up. I mean, he's ashamed of me. Again, can you see how easily we let our impressions of God be shaped by, by past relationships or present relationships or circumstances or, and other things, performance? And here's why, again, that's challenging, that if your view of God is shaped by things outside of God, then you're going to have a difficult time responding to Him in the right way. Let's say that again. If your view of God is shaped by the things outside of God, then you're going to have a difficult time responding to him in the right way. And the Apostle Paul knew this, that even 2,000 years ago, he knew that these new Christians were struggling with a right view of God. And so he writes in Romans chapter 8, verse 15. He says, hey, you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. I mean, it all changes. I mean, Paul says God is not unreasonable. He is not this angry, you know, slave driver. I mean, there is such a thing as an unhealthy fear of God. And he's not holding a long list of rules and expectations before your head, treating you like a slave, demanding you know, perfection or nothing else. No, no else. No love from him. And too often that's how we see God. We look at God and we look at all of his rules and standards and all of his expectations and we think, well, that's not fair. Or, or there's no way that I could possibly live up to these expectations. Or, or we'll look at these standards and these rules and we'll, in, in desperation we'll think to ourselves, there's no way. 
I mean, I am doomed for failure. Again, if that's the way that you view God, it will be difficult for you to respond to God in the way that he wants you to. And add to that, if you had a biological father that was very difficult to please, what did you spend your life doing? You did everything you could all along the way, everything possible, trying to win your father's approval, trying to please him. And that's all the Jews knew before Jesus. I mean, that's the only method they knew. All they knew was the law. All they knew was the strict moral code. They knew the requirements of the law. And at the same time, they realized that they could never possibly live up to all of the expectations of that law. Nothing was good enough. They knew that even on their best days, they would always fall short. Their best efforts resulted in nothing but letdown and frustration. And if you see God like this, as controlling you know, demanding perfection from us. I mean, you have to win his approval. I mean, it won't take long before you discover that day after day is just another day of frustration and feeling like a failure over and over again. And you might wake up with this great enthusiasm and this motivation every once in a while to live for him, to please him. But if it's in your own strength, if it's in nothing but your own efforts, you and I will always come up short. You can't win God's approval. Uh, You can't win his love and his affection. It's absolutely impossible, and that's why we need Jesus. And as Christians, it's why we need the Spirit in us. We need God with us. We need that understanding, that power uh, to really know God and to know him correctly. Now, continue in this sort of thinking again of trying, trying, trying to please God and failing, failing before him over and over again. What happens? Well, eventually you give up. And you think to yourself, what's the point? I mean, if you had a difficult to please dad in your life, you know, that was all rules and no relationship, you know that there probably came a day where you decided, I'm done trying. I'm done trying to please my dad. I mean, what's the point? And now and as an adult, you have this mixture of apathy and bitterness towards your dad. You know, what you think about, the impressions, the pictures that come to my, your mind when you think of God as father says a lot about how you view him and a lot about how you live for him. And again, that's why we need the truth that's uncovered for us in Scripture. In 1 John chapter 4, verse 8, John writes this, But anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. God is love. Now, he's not limited to love. All right, and it's important that we realize that, that he is all-powerful, that he is all-present, that he is all-knowing, that he's gracious, uh, that he's merciful and he's forgiving, that he's perfect, uh, that he's holy and pure and righteous and just. But for John, in these verses here, it's almost as if he's saying, hey, if I could only pick one word right now to sum up everything that God is, that one word that best describes him is the word love. That our God, that he is a God of love, that love is the supreme expression of God, that love affects and drives all of his attributes. Notice that the Bible doesn't say that God is holiness. It doesn't say that God is power, but God is love. Because the scriptures declare that God's heart overflows with his unconditional love for his children. Now again, it's so important that we look to scripture. That we have to look to Scripture to better understand our God. Because if you don't, you can quickly see how your impressions of God can go to so many different places and be formed by external things. I mean, this happens all the time. I mean, especially when you think of a word uh, or the concept of love. Uh, You might recall, remember, uh, some of you might have been a part of it, that there was a movement uh, that began somewhere around the summer of 1967 uh, that became known as the Summer of Love. And uh, its most visible members during this time were called hippies. Uh, and their expression, their slogan, their ideals were uh, summed up in slogans like uh, love, not hate, uh, make peace, not war. And one of the cornerstones of this movement was free love. 
And so many participated and ignored God's standards and thousands of years of of social rules and people gratified themselves with free sex. Now, not too long after the summer of love, uh, Woodstock followed. And in the summer of 1969, organizers planned for 100,000 people to descend on this quiet countryside in New York for three days of love and music, but they were overwhelmed when 1.5 million people showed up. Over a million and a half people showed up looking for peace and love, but when asked the question, was Woodstock a place of peace and love, um, Peter Townsend, a member of the band The Who, uh, which played at Woodstock, he said no. And here's what he writes, here's what he says about that. He described Woodstock this way. He said, What was going on off the stage was beyond my comprehension. Stretchers and dead bodies and people throwing up and people having drug trips. I thought that the whole of America had gone absolutely mad. Uh, That people were assaulted and tempers flared and nudity and things like sex and drugs were happening all over the place and people died. And what was supposed to be this monument of love resulted as in what one writer said and even this band number two, nothing but total chaos. What was supposed to be the monument of free love resulted in total chaos. I mean, to think of God, that God as love, the the one who should be called love, that he is so unfairly uh, limited to other opinions. He's limited to the external things that go on around us every single day. But Psalm 100 verse 5, the writer here says, For the Lord is good, and his unfailing love continues forever, and his faithfulness continues to each generation. Two words there, unfailing love. You know, I'm not sure what kind of experiences uh, have shaped your view or your opinion of God. I'm not sure what kind of dad you have or had. But good or bad, remember that your dad is not, nor will he ever be perfect. But as a child of God, as a follower of Jesus Christ, you have a perfect father now. And if you've put your trust in Jesus... Uh, The God of heaven loves you as a father, a perfect father. And unless you see him as this God of love, as this perfect father, you will always struggle trying to live for him, trying to earn his favor, trying to earn his love. But as a father, Paul reminds us that God is loving. And not only does he show us this, but he shows us another element in our relationship with God, that as a father, uh, he is close and not distant. That our God is close and not distance. In Romans chapter 8, verse 15, he says again, So you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. Now we call him Abba Father. There are those words again. That other than Jesus Christ, nowhere in all of the Bible do we ever see anyone referring to God as Abba. And let's just make it really clear when we're using the word Abba here that we're not referring to this Swedish band uh, with the satin and, and, and polyester outfits. But uh, the, the term Abba is, is really an interesting word because for Paul's readers, uh, the word Abba is a very intimate term. Um, it, it's the least formal word for father. It's not father. It's not even dad. The word Abba is an Aramaic word that is best translated daddy or papa. 
Uh, I love it when my little girl calls me daddy, and I still get it a little bit from Luke, and Joel's done with it, all right? We've moved on to nothing but dad or, or hey you, all right? But, but it's, a, it's an intimate word here, again, because it descri- it's the word daddy. It's how we would translate the word papa. This is the way that God wants you and I to see him. Now, for the first century Jew, it was absolutely unthinkable to think about referring to God or calling God by such a familiar, intimate word, because remember, these are the same people that held such a reverence and, and such a fear of God that they wouldn't even say the the word Yahweh. I mean, even the utterance of the word Yahweh could potentially lead to, you know, a very painful death. You know, these people, again, had incredible reverence, fear, and respect for God. Now enter Jesus. All right, and Jesus not only referred to him as Abba, but Jesus also claimed to be God, which is enough to get yourself killed. And Jesus wasn't being disrespectful when he referred to his father as Abba. And therefore, Paul's call for you and me to see God as our Abba isn't based on a low view of God or a disrespect for his authority in our lives. Here's what Paul knows and what we need to see. That again, you and I are sons and daughters of God. That if you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, uh, you belong to him now. That he is your father, that you are his child. And the Bible teaches us that when we submit to Christ, we are adopted and we become children of God. And so not only does that mean that Jesus can refer to him as Abba, but you and I can too. As a child of God, you can call him Abba, that you can call him Daddy. And and I'm not suggesting now that all of your prayers change and that you start referring to him as Abba or in conversations you refer to him as Abba unless you need to. But how does that word help our hearts and our minds get around and better understand what it means to have a relationship with him? that adoption changes everything. I mean, the word adopted defines the relationship. The Bible teaches that when we submit to Christ, we are adopted and we become children of God. And again, so not only does Jesus have the right to call him Abba, but you do too. You can call him Daddy. Now, why can this truth be so encouraging to you and me? Because if you've messed up somewhere in your life, um, you've got somewhere where you can turn. Um, If you feel alone in your life, whether it's been in the past or even right now, there is someone that you can turn to uh, who will listen and hear you. Uh, If you feel overwhelmed or trapped by your past or maybe your present, that God is waiting for you, that He is close, that it's important to remember that that relationship with God, that adoption, it changes everything for us. John Fountain is a, a professor of journalism at the University of Illinois and formerly a national correspondent for Time magazine. And, and this is his testimony as given on the NPR series, This I Believe. Here's what he says. He says, I believe in God, not that cosmic, intangible spirit in the sky that my mama told me about as a little boy, always uh, was and always will be, but the God who embraced me when daddy disappeared from our lives. From my life at age four, the night police led him down the stairs away from the front door in handcuffs. The God who warmed me when we could see our breath inside our freezing apartment, when the gas was disconnected in the dead of another winter, uh, Chicago, when there was no food, no hope, and no hot water. The God who held my hand when I witnessed boys in my hood swallowed by the elements, by death, and by hopelessness, who claimed me when I felt like I was no man's son amid the absence of any man to wrap his arms around me and tell me everything's going to be okay, to speak proudly of me, to call me son. 
I believe in God, God the Father embodied in His Son, Jesus Christ, the God who allowed me to feel His presence, whether by the warmth that filled my belly like hot chocolate on a cold afternoon or that voice when I found myself in the tempest of life storms telling me that even when I was told I was nothing, that I was something, that I was His, and that even amid the desertion of the man who gave me His name and His DNA and little else, I might find in God sustenance. I believe in God, the God who I have come to know as Father, as Abba, as Daddy. And it wasn't until many years later, standing over my father's grave for a conversation long overdue that my tears flowed. I told him about the man I had become. I told him about how much I wished he had been in my life. And I realized fully that in his absence I had found another or that he, God the Father, had found me. Adoption. It changes everything. A relationship with God changes everything for us. I mean, your right understanding of God has the power to change your past. It has the power to change your present and your future. And it doesn't matter what you've gone through. It doesn't matter what you're currently going through or what's ahead of you. When Jesus Christ becomes the Lord of your life, that relationship changes everything. You're no longer an orphan. You're adopted. And you and I can call Him Father. And with Jesus, God closed the distance between God and, or between Himself and you and I. And even when see, nothing seems to be working out for us, it's important to remember that He is there, that He is close, and that He is always with us. Look at these words, these great words from Psalm 139, beginning in verse 7. David writes, I can never escape from your spirit. I can never get away from your presence. If I go up to heaven, you are there. If I go down to the grave, you're there. If I ride the wings of the morning, if I dwell by the farthest oceans, even there your hand will guide me and your strength will support me. I could ask the darkness to hide me and the light around me to become night. But even in darkness, I can't hide from you. To you, the night shines as bright as day. And darkness and light are the same to you. God is close. He's not distant. Paul also shows us that God is affirming, that as a father, he is affirming, uh, not rejecting. Romans 8, 16 says, For his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. You know, God doesn't want there to be any doubt where you stand with Him. He, he wants you to be confident in your relationship with Him as His son or His daughter. And so He's not the kind of parent that you've got to tiptoe around. Uh, he's not the kind of parent that you're going to easily set off or the kind of parent that forgets your birthday or maybe uh, hesitates to say, I love you. But God is a Father that is constantly affirming us. And that's what it means to be adopted by him. Now, interestingly, if you study the word adoption uh, for Roman culture, it's a really strong word. Uh, In the ancient culture, an adopted person forfeited all of his rights uh, to his previous family, but yet gained all of the rights to the new family, just like a legitimate child of that family. And so the adopted became an heir to the father's estate. That even if you were born uh, the natural, uh, a natural child in that particular family, the adopted child was still considered co-equals of the estate. Now, one of the most famous adoptions that took place in the Roman world was Julius Caesar ado- adopting uh, his son Octavian, who eventually went on to become Emperor Augustus. And Paul's readers would have immediately thought of that uh, when Paul started using this word adoption. Now, another important result of adoption in the Roman world, and this is really cool, that for anyone adopted... Their past was considered behind them. All of their debts, for example, were canceled and wiped out. And so adoption means a fresh start. It meant a fresh start for these people, a new beginning. In the eyes of the Roman law, an adopted child was nothing less than the absolute child of his parents. No footnote, no asterisk. I like the way that one father said it. He said, you know, I've got 
four kids. Two of them are adopted, and I forget all of the time which two. I can't remember which two. And that's how strong of a word adopted is, the word used to describe our relationship with God. I mean, adoption means chosen. It means that you and I, that we've been chosen by God. I mean, what a picture for what God has done for us. I mean, to have that picture in your mind of God choosing you. You know, I remember when um, Jenny and I adopted our first dog and probably our last dog. Our, Our children will never have the opportunity and the privilege of knowing what it's like to have a dog because of that experience. Jenny and I uh, hadn't been married quite a year yet, and she had her mindset on, on getting a dog. We were living in Anderson at the time, and uh, we learned about some puppies uh, that had been born. And so we went to this uh, particular home where there were four to five puppies. And, and to just have that moment back again, like if I could go back to that moment, you know, once again, and either have refused or chosen wisely, because I don't believe we chose wisely in that particular situation, uh, and, and, and we, we walked away with the dog that day, and that dog radically changed our lives. Uh, for about nine years, our lives were never the same because of that dog. Now, we named that dog Lady, and we spelled it C-R-A-Z-Y, because she was crazy. I mean, she was absolutely crazy, and the, I could tell so many stories about Lady, but I'm not going to do that because it's good material, and so I'm going to save some of it uh, for other Sundays, but, uh, you know, This dog had problems from day one. Uh, She never enjoyed her cage from the very beginning. Uh, She never slept well there. She pooped in the car. She pooped in the house and she pooped in her cage. It didn't matter. We tried all the tricks. Yeah, put an alarm clock in the cage. She'll love it. Or put a sock in there or a teddy bear or something. None of it worked. Uh, She she chewed up and destroyed so many things that we had. Uh, There was the surgery. Uh, There was all of the allergy medicine. Uh, There was the depression and the anxiety. Yes, our dog was on Prozac for a period of time. Uh, We totaled up at one point that we were spending about a thousand dollars a year on this particular dog. Uh, She ran away multiple times and always came back, fortunately. Uh, There were all the vet visits. There were all the carpet cleanings, uh, the groomings, the meds, the kennel stays. Uh, In the last years, again, that we had with her, I mean, we just felt like that there's something wrong with the fact that we're spending more on our dog uh, that we're spending on our children. Now, after nine years of a lot of pain, we decided that something had to change, that there was not room in the house for both Jenny and I, three kids and a dog. And so we drew straws and the dog lost in that particular situation. And so right before we moved here to Noblesville, we met a really sweet lady that was willing to take her off of our hands. And yes, maybe the adoption did take place in a Walmart parking lot, all right? But that's another story for another time and that we know that our dog went off to a good place. But to think back, to that moment when there were five little puppies running around on this living room floor of this particular house that we chose the dog that my wife reminds me all the time was chewing on the electric cord, you know, because she was so cute. That was the particular one we picked and our lives were really changed forever because of that particular adoption. Um, if If you've messed up in your life, if you feel ashamed, uh, if you feel like you've let God down, uh, that he's got no place in his family uh, for you, I, I want to remind you and promise you this morning that he will never give you back, uh, that he chose you as his adopted, that you are his own child, and he, he has nothing but absolute love uh, for you. Uh, he's not ready to let you go because adoption means chosen. Uh, it, it was done on purpose. If you've never surrendered your life to Jesus Christ before, Uh, He desperately wants to have a relationship with you. He is waiting for you to come home. Again, adoption is a powerful word because it doesn't happen on accident. 
No one adopts on accident. It's not forced. It's not required. And if you are a child of God adopted by him, you've been chosen and he chose you. And, and Jesus makes all that possible. He makes that relationship possible. The last thing is this, that he is giving, that God is our father is giving and not withholding, that God has an inheritance for you uh, and that he has no intentions of withholding any of that inheritance for you. Romans eight seventeen uh, says as we finish up, and since we are his children, we are his heirs. In fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. You know, notice the, the powerful words in those statements that we are his children and we are his heirs. I mean, we have entered into God's family as a child. Belonging to God as a child also means to be an, an, an heir. An heir means to be the next in line. It means to be a beneficiary to the father's estate. I mean, what's that inheritance? That God has promised eternal life to all those who put their trust in Jesus. That's the great inheritance. That's God's promise to you and me, that He has offered this, this eternal life, that He has offered all of His riches and blessings to His children. And not only is God the source of our inheritance, but I think it's important to be reminded that He is the inheritance, that He is our inheritance. And of all the things in the universe, the most precious is the Creator of the universe Himself. Lamentations chapter 3, verse 24 says this, I say to myself, the Lord is my inheritance, therefore I'll put all my hope in Him. You know, as the band comes out on stage right now, I want to ask you that question. Uh, is God, is Jesus Christ the inheritance of your life? And right now, can you say with confidence that you're putting all of your hope in Him? I mean, you know, what do those words do to you today that the Lord, that God is your inheritance, that you are a child of God, that you are adopted as his own and nothing can take that away uh, that away and again that's so, that's why it's so important that that our impression of god be right that we understand as best as we can what it means to call him father i, I love this quote by c.s lewis I, I don't want my image of god i want god is your image of god right this morning are you able to call him father and would you call him father Let's listen to this song together.